Zen has been summed up in four statements. A direct transmission outside scriptures and apart from tradition. No dependence on words and letters. Direct pointing to the human mind and seeing into one's own nature and becoming Buddha. Hey, welcome to another episode of The Way I See It. My name is Chris. Um, here we are here Wednesday night. Uh, we're starting a little bit um, after nine. Um, so we're going to go ahead and just try to, you know, just give a little introduction before we start the interview. So basically, this is a podcast dedicated to learning about technology and how it affects our society every day. Um, each week, I try to bring a little bit more light and information to the ways that we can work together to find a better way to you know, enhance or leverage this technology. For instance, utilizing podcasts and um, social media to find more people that are, are interested in the things you're interested in. Um, looking for inexpensive ways to you know create your, your brand and, and produce things that are meaningful to you and the people around you. And for this uh, morning's, um, for this uh, interview today, we're going to be speaking speaking with a woman. Uh, she's actually a um, she's a provide profession. She's an entrepreneur, and right now she's a comedian entertainer. But by profession, uh, but while she was in school, she actually went ahead and taught education, childhood education, I believe, in Hawaii, and then decided to um, make a change, change and move to Asia where she currently lives in Vietnam and is working in several different factions, you know, with her business. And her name is Angie, um, Angie Floyd, but she's also known by as Angie the Diva. And um, I spoke to her for about um, about two hours um, a few weeks ago. And, um, you know, because I'm working on this on my own, I um, had to take the time to go over and edit it and whatnot. And so this day, I'm going to probably going to give out the first um, the first part of it, the first one hour of it. And then the next week, I will go ahead and add the second one. And then after that, I will go ahead and just have like one feed that comes in, which has the entire feed in there, um, you know, the entire uh, podcast. And I think it's great because it gives me a chance to go over it, making sure that I am picking out clips and pieces that I want want to use in, in the future. Um, it's all about um, taking it one step at a time. And here on Yamanote Tech Society, we want to make sure that um, overall we are finding people who are like looking at doing things similar to us and we're working together by communicating and, and building a, you know, building a, a circle of, of, of trust and, and, and a mastermind so we can solve these problems together. So hopefully, uh, with all of this, you know, bit further ado, I will go ahead and uh, start the interview right after this. All right. Okay. All right. So um, I guess you could just go ahead and just start by uh, stating uh, your your name and what um, you know a little bit about yourself. So I'm Angie. Uh, most people in Saigon call me Angie the Diva, or just Angie. Um, I am a professional comedian. And an event planner, talent manager, boss ass bitch in the city. 
Okay, thanks, Andrew, for that. And uh, hey, my name is Chris, and uh, this is the Yamanote Tech and Society podcast. Uh, Yamanote Tech and Society podcast is a so it's basically a podcast based on a particular you know theme of trying to help other people learn about other alternatives within society, uh, utilizing technology and their own experiences and how they can allow them to you know make their ideas you know become reality. And today we have a you know I guess basically her name is Angie the Diva and she is going to basically speak a little bit about how her 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 destination from basically coming from the states to Vietnam and the overall idea of when did she make that decision how was she able to kind of push herself to to do that I think that's really um, some of the things that I feel like it's going to be needed for most of the people who are looking to get into uh, this new way of life, working and living on the internet. Okay. Okay. All right. So, um, you know, Angie. Uh, so, you know, first off, I I basically uh, heard from you, uh, about you from another podcast, and uh, it was uh, the. The Black, Black Experience podcast or uh, Melanated Files is where I actually, you know, heard about you first, you know, overall, just on like how that basically was, um, I'm sorry, um, that was basically the way I, I discovered you. And I was listening to a lot of the, the, the conversations you were having, and one of the things I was actually excited about was how uh, you went from... Uh, from Hawaii to to Vietnam, and one of the things that was interesting about that was how it's, it was not something that was your first idea. Am I correct? Um, right. You mean like moving from the states directly to Vietnam? R- right. Yeah. Um, no, it wasn't my first idea. I um, I I planned. I tried to get a job in um the uae the uh like dubai Mm -hmm. uh abu dhabi area Mm -hmm. um and that just didn't work out i went for a job interview um in new york and i didn't get the job so after that um i decided just to continue to leave the states i was just pretty much over the whole situation by then Mm -hmm. Um, and so I went from deciding to teach, uh, abroad to saving up some money and deciding to do, um, what's called world schooling. So I read about a bunch of families that were traveling around the world and teaching their kids and, and they had various, uh, usually tech-based jobs like drop shipping or they were doing um like like webinars or online classes or teaching online or you know there's a bunch of things that you can do online in order to make money um yeah. but honestly none of those really appealed to me um i i did write a book but i didn't know anything about marketing at the time so it didn't really take off um it just like the online things just didn't really appeal to me um it was a learning curve that i really wasn't invested in doing 
So we just kind of traveled around for a while. And then, um, then when I was, uh, we, we traveled around, we also did some, uh, workaways. So work away, work away, work away. Okay. Uh, it's a website. Um, basically you register for the website and then you can apply to different quote unquote volunteer jobs around the world. And they usually will pay for your room and board, um, or food or whatever. Um, they usually give you, you know, something in exchange, like, like a lodging or, or, uh, transportation back and forth or something like that. Um, it's, it's like a lot of them, you get to stay in the village or with the host or something. And then you, you teach or they'll have you like working on a farm or, um, in a hostel sometimes, or, you know, any, any sort of number of jobs. Some of them are really kind of cool. Like there were some in South America where you were building, like helping to build eco farms. Um, but the ones, excuse me, the ones in Southeast Asia are mostly, uh, English teaching or, um, like volunteering in, in rural areas in some way. So anyway, it was, it's another way in order to be able to survive abroad, um, without really spending much money. So we did a, me and my kids did a couple of those, which were really, really great experiences actually. Okay. All right. So, uh, so my, my takeaway from that part is, um, Workway is pretty much like a uh, on demand of like jobs that are volunteer, but they in return of your volunteer work, they provide uh, room and board or transportation. Yeah, okay. um, it's and the work is usually kind of like what you would think of with like Peace Corps or, um, you know, it's it's like yeah. humanitarian um, type work. Doctors um, behind brown board, but exactly right, yeah. right, yeah. And of course, if you have a certain skill set, then you'll be in higher demand. Um, there mm -hmm. are a few of them that you can get paid for, mm -hmm. but it's not much money. It's definitely not anything to live off of, but it does give you really good experiences. Um, you get to see a side of of the country or the uh, the people that you wouldn't normally get to see just like as a regular tourist or even as like just coming to live in a place you don't really get to experience that side of of life local life so it was it was cool in that way um, and if you really research the the um the place that you're volunteering and make sure that they're kind of on board then it can be a really rewarding experience there are some people out there who are just seeking volunteers to run their business which you know i guess is not that bad but um, when you said people are seeking volunteers you're talking about the 
the the people who own the the business owners in the countries that are the volunteer workers available and will find people on this like board this this um, right. job board to get work done right. relatively cheap which right. is okay yeah for example in Saigon um a lot of people are english teachers Mm-hmm. And there are a few companies that get people to come to teach English as volunteer work. And uh, it is a very lucrative business in Saigon. So they are charging the parents money and not paying the teachers. Okay. Yeah. So you have to kind of like research you know the opportunity and make sure that it's you know on the up and up as with everything okay all right so well thanks for that i mean so it looks like um the uh, you know coming from your you know what you're doing right now that you were you were actually happy to move away from the english teaching and into something that I oh i was so over it i was so very (laughs) much over it um yeah tell us a little bit about that yeah, I was a teacher in the States, mm-hmm. um, and it just, teachers are not really respected in the States. Mm-hmm. You don't have the the resources, and you definitely don't have the money that you need for the commitment, the time commitment and energy commitment that is required to be a teacher. So um, I was really happy to, to try try it in, in, in another country because, you know, I spent all this money on this degree. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I got out here, teachers are not respected in a whole different way. Like the kids are, the kids do respect you. Like teaching as a profession here is much more respected, but it is a, uh, it's got to be like a, a million, multi-million dollar business out here. They're making a lot of money. And it doesn't always translate down to the teachers. It definitely doesn't translate to more resources for the teachers. Mm-hmm. And the Vietnamese staff that works for the companies are grossly underpaid. I mean, the average salary for a, a an English teacher, a native speaking English teacher here is about 500,000 Vietnam dong. Um, it's about 20, I think about $20 an hour or something like that. Mm-hmm. Whereas the Vietnamese staff may be making like $35,000 an hour, 35 uh, Vietnam dong an hour, okay. which is like, a fraction of that right and they of course are doing much 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 more and they like the justification for um the justification for doing that is like oh the local people they get to use discounts and they can um you know they they have a lower cost of living than we do and blah 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 and it's like this are this is these people's country. Like we are guests here, and just because I was born in a country where I speak English naturally, mm-hmm. I get to make this ridiculous amount of money. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was that part of it was really not cool. 
Another thing was that um, it's not really teaching. And a lot of the people who do it are not really teachers. They're just, they, you know, you have, well, you're supposed to have a degree to be able to do it of some kind, but it doesn't have to have anything to do with, with teaching or English or anything. So a lot of people just come here to get that job because it's easy to get, it pays pretty well, um, and, and you can do it, like you can speak English. That does not mean that you should be a teacher. Um, and it does not mean that what you're doing is actually teaching. It's really glorified babysitting. And you're, you are told to just teach them what is in the book or, or for a test. And it's not actually, a lot of the companies don't actually do it in a way that is really helping these students. It's in a way that makes them have to pay for this for years and years and years and just keep them flowing through the system. Okay, so can you give us a little bit of a understanding or get a little of an idea on what uh, teaching in Saigon is like? Like maybe a typical day. Yeah. So, um, typical teachers don't go to work until the evening, mm -hmm. because um, they teach after school for the kids, mm -hmm. or they work on weekends. So, a typical work week for a teacher is usually Saturday and Sunday, and then maybe a Tuesday and Thursday night or something like that. You usually work about 16 to 20 hours a week. Um, and you have uh, classes that are anywhere from like an hour to two hours. And um, this is on between the ages of uh, like elementary, junior high, you know, to high school high and school. adults. Okay. Everybody. Okay. Everybody. Depends on the company that you work for. Depends on your specialty, um, depends on what classes are available at your center. And it depends on what, it depends on whether you work at a center or if you work for um, public schools. Right. So you'll have kids from, you know, I, my specialty, because I was a, a, a kindergarten teacher in the States, my specialty was from two to six years old. So that was most of my classes. Nobody really wants to take the three-year-olds. I thought it was the best situation ever because, you know, like you're just playing games and, and laughing and playing with them all day long. And then you get paid the same amount as somebody who has to like lesson plan for hours and hours. That's very, very, very I mean, true. That's good. Yeah. If I'm a do a bullshit job, like I'm, 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 I'm going to do the, you know, <laughs> like the least amount possible. Um, not to say that some teachers don't really invest a lot into it because they do. Mm -hmm. um, some people take it very seriously and they do try to, you know, do the, do it to the best of their ability. It's just that most teachers are just doing it for the check right. and it's, it's easy work. You have ridiculous amounts of time freedom. Mm -hmm. um, like I said, you only work like most people only work like 16 to 20 hours a week. Now, you can also get a job at international schools, which pay a lot more. They have much better packages. They have, you know, like they'll send you home twice a year. Um, they will um, 
they give you health insurance and there's a lot of perks and stuff like that. So international school is, you know, the pay is much better, but the time commitment is a regular 40 hour week job. So you work like 40. So looking at it, you get like 40 hour work weeks and you get pretty much what you get out here in the States. But, um, if you wanted to kind of like have like have the uh, the hours broken up a little bit, you can still get paid the same amount, but you would um, you would have a alternative, uh, I guess class sizes or um, age relation. Meaning like you're not just working with like only people, only students of a certain age. You might have right. So international school is just like school at the states. Mm-hmm. You have a classroom. You have your same kids all the time. You have to go to PD courses and you, um, you know, you have the lesson plan, you have meetings and all of that stuff. Like it's like regular school. Um, right. <clears throat> so if you are and, and you and they are certified teachers, like these are people who have a teaching degree. So if you want to do if you want to go that route, then the pay is much better than it would be in the U.S., mm-hmm. um, usually for international schools. And because the cost of living here is so low, you can really like save a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Cost of living is so low and they provide so many perks. Like I said, they'll they'll give you plane tickets and stuff back home twice a year. Um, you, ha- you have salaries. So even during the school break, you're still getting paid. Um, some, some of them provide housing mm-hmm. even. And some of them also will uh, pay for your kids to go to that school. So, and international schools are absolutely ridiculous. Like, they have pools, they have gyms, they have, um, like, all kinds of classes and courses. These schools are for, um, like, high-level business people's children. Mm-hmm. They're for diplomatic, diplomat children. Um, um, these are, like for that like upper echelon of, of classes. Right. Um, so it would be really interesting to be a teacher in that school in the States, but abroad you're getting to see that sort of like 1%, 2% worldwide, like a very multicultural experience. It's definitely like, if you have kids um, going to international school route can be really, really nice. So okay, so so basically, the new international schools gives you an opportunity to talk with people you might not see on a regular day if you are from, um, less like you come from a, like a middle class. They don't have like a middle class. Um, mostly like upper middle right. class. You know, possibly you know one percent. You know, multi millionaire, billionaire people. Yeah, yeah. These people are these people are rich. It's not, mm-hmm. <laughs> they're not. They're not middle class at all. Like these okay. people, because the uh, just to like kind of put it in perspective, the tuition for international school mm-hmm. is about for one child is about the same as my salary was as an English teacher for an entire year. Wow. Yeah. So. All right. So, uh, moving, moving with, with that particular idea, what would be the, um, the idea I mean, it sounds like it's pretty good to do in the international school. Um, but, uh, you have children, you said, and you would want them to go to school. All right. And, um, and how would that, how, was, did you find that working with 
in a natural school and raising a family was difficult because of the more time constraints? So I didn't go the international school route. I went with English Language Center because I wanted the time freedom. Okay. Um, I wanted to work fewer hours and have more time with my kids. Mm -hmm. And my kids were unschooling. They didn't go to, I didn't want them to go to school. So um, it wasn't, you know, that part of it wasn't really a, a thing for me. Um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't want the commitment of having a classroom anymore. And, and I didn't need the perk of having my kids to go to the school. It is really, really nice if you're, mm -hmm. if you're into school like that. Mm -hmm. But I just generally have a different philosophy on schooling that wasn't uh, that international school wasn't attractive to me. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, so, so that the, uh, the, the term unschooling is, uh, mm -hmm. you, you, you said that, uh, before, before, and, uh, I, I could you define that a little bit? I, I find that really yeah. interesting. So unschooling, um, in simplest terms is teaching children in a practical way. Well, not even teaching them, allowing them to learn in a practical way. Um, it's really child directed and it's very much about their interests. Um, so to illustrate it, it's kind of the way that adults learn. If an adult wants to know something, you go on the internet, you go take a class, you research it, you find an expert and, and you learn it. Right. Um, and there's a variety of ways to learn that information that don't require you to go to say a college class for you know semesters or years mm -hmm. so i my kids were were taught in that way mm -hmm. um so like math math is something that's around us all the time unschooling right. requires you to see the learning opportunities and everything math is something that's around us all the time like when you go to the grocery store um you have to figure out you know whatever in-depth sort of lesson you want mm -hmm. you can um try to figure out the the portion sizes and the, the costs of each portion um versus like for each product so say you have two boxes of cereal of different sizes and different mm -hmm. prices um one may be a better buy because of the portion size um so like for example uh if it's this the smaller box is two dollars um per portion size and the bigger box even though it seems cheaper mm -hmm. because it's such a larger box it might actually be three dollars per portion size so getting the child to figure out that sort of thing that's like pretty high level math yeah definitely. um yeah um but um, you can get them to, to figure out things like that. I would have my kids do the exchange rates really often when we would go out to eat. I'd have them add up the bill from the, um, from the food. And then, um, like, for example, that if we go to a restaurant, they get to, I give them a budget. This is how much you have to spend. So then they have to figure out what they can get within that budget. Right. Then they have to add up the bill and cross check it with the bill that the that the the waiter gives them, and then they have to take those the the bill and transfer it over to U.S. dollars. 
So we've covered budgeting and a simple addition and subtraction and um, and pretty high level multiplication and, and exchange rates in a very practical way. Right. So it's not like in class where you would cover all of those things, but it's just like, you have three apples. Now I gave you five more apples. How many apples do you have now? Like it's, mm -hmm. it's very isolated and it's, it's in a way that kids don't want to retain that information. But when you're doing it in a way that's very practical, for example, you have this much money to spend when you go out to eat it, they're more likely to retain that knowledge because it means something to them. So um, the, the idea between unschooling and schooling is more like you use practical knowledge as, as basically practical knowledge driven and the child's interest is what guides you to teaching the child how to become a better, um, I guess, like overall, like, I guess, street smart. It's not really well, not street smart, but you, what I mean by like, overall, like, they'll have like a, a, a very good, I guess street smarts is a good way of using it. They use like a practical mentality against it, not instead of just academic. You're not, they're not geared towards a test. It's more like making sure they, they, they pay the, the waiter the right amount of money. They don't overpay or underpay. You know, those are the, those, those would be the penalties behind it. Right. Right. It's, and it's more like, um, they learn how to transfer those skills to different things. Oftentimes when you're in school in in that isolated sort of sterile environment of a classroom, you're learning lots of things, hopefully, um, but you're often learning them to the means of a test, to mm -hmm. the end of a test. So once the test is over, you kind of forget a lot of that information. Um, and in this way, in, in unschooling, you're teaching in a way that the knowledge is useful and they can see the value of retaining that information. Plus, they're getting to practice it in a real life way several times, you know, like over and over and over again. And there's, you know, level up that material. The, the other thing is that they are more in charge of their learning. So like when, if my kids would ask me a question, for example, like, you know, uh, how long do elephants, are elephants pregnant or something like that? Siri, mm -hmm. or going to find the answer for them, they have to go and find out that information. Now they know that they have, you know, like National Geographic or they have, um, they can Google it, but, you know, Wikipedia is not always a very uh, reliable resource. Um, those are things that we talked about, though. How do you find reputable resources online? How do you know that this is factual information and not just something that somebody just put out on the Internet? So, so those sort of skills I had to, you know, explicitly teach them and show them. And then they use those skills to find out the information that they wanted. Like, they would hate it, you know? Yeah. They'd be like, mom, why can't you just tell me? But it's like, cause you can figure it out yourself. Yeah. So in that way, I'm teaching them how to learn, how to access information, no matter where they are in life. Um, and it's not dependent on who your teacher is. So 
they're they're able to see learning in anything. Like mm-hmm. my son is really into animals. So we would go to like wildlife parks or nature reserves or something like that. And then I would send him around and tell him, you know, okay, come back with your three favorite facts or whatever. So he would have to go around the whole park. He'd read all those informational placards. He'd find, you know, some something that he really, really liked. And then he would come back and tell me that information. But I don't know if you've seen those uh, placards at, like, you know, wildlife parks or something. That's, like, pretty high-level reading. Right. And You mean, like, um, the signs you know, that they have of the animal next to the, the cage right. or something? Okay. Right, right. And my son, at the time, my son was, like, six or seven. So for him to be able to read and understand and digest that material and then bring it back to me in his own words in a way that he understood it. Like that's pretty high level stuff for, for a seven year old. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I say that to explain that they were still learning. A lot of people hear about this philosophy and they, I mean, it's, it's understandable to think that learning can only happen in school. That's what we're conditioned to, to know. And most of us has been through that system. So when presented with something new, um, you know, a lot of people would be like, oh, well, if they're not going to school, how do they socialize? Or, oh, if they're not going to school, then, you know, how do you, how are you sure that they're learning things? And they are because (laughs) learning can happen outside of school. It's okay. (laughs) Yeah. So if you, so with that um, methodology um, today, are you um, ever asked about um, your teaching methodologies as a as a, as an expert? Well, not, well, you know, as an expert of, of the of that idea, and like, does anybody ever tries to ask you if you can borrow that for their own children or um, their own teaching methodology? Um, no, not really, because of the nature of the of the theory people pretty much research on their own what's due. Um, there are quite a few blogs and people out there writing about what they do with their kids in the day-to-day. Um, there's a ton of information out there if you're looking for it. Um, well, what, I, what I mean by it is that um, I feel that, uh, that when, when you hear content from someone that is actually you know, consider like they it, it wrote some books about it. They have a couple of you know, um, degrees or certain certifications, or they've been on a couple of different you know, res- you know, te- uh, podcasts or television shows or whatever like that. Mm-hmm. They that you usually get an idea on one way of like understanding things. But to me, I feel like when you hear the fact that people are able to utilize Siri and blogs and can can do a lot of the resources for themselves. Um, it we don't really hear um, people, or at least from my perspective, the you people are actually using it in their own using it in their own life. You know, they're actually practicing this thing daily day to day, and you use and your children would be um, considered as the um, examples of what this is working on. And I was mm-hmm. I was really I was really uh, happy for that because. Um, I, I'm I'm still running into a lot of people who are still you know 
they are they still and they still feel like the old way is the is still the sure way of you know balancing things out and i don't think so i mean i kind of grew up right you know they grew up like where like to bring a personal computer was was basically a um a very hot thing to have i had a macintosh my, my parents continued to keep a computer in the house and mm-hmm. i was always adopting the latest technology so i'm totally mm-hmm. outside of that so i'm very like i guess i would be considered more technical than most people but when it comes down mm-hmm. to teaching people I'm finding it that it's actually great to have people who are actually actively doing it in their lives. Like where you, you, you went from one um, way I'm assuming it is that you didn't have this understanding prior to the going to Vietnam. And then when you noticed that this, this, this idea or this methodology was, was um, beneficial, you were able to leverage that to give you well, a message. Um, I researched it before I left because that that was a huge question what what will we do about schooling and coming from you know I was a teacher in the state so coming from that background um and coming from a family that placed formal education very high on the priority list um that was a concern like what are what are they going to do and there are a number of programs that you can use of, of course international school is one route but there are online programs. There are, um, you know, you can do traditional sort of homeschooling where you create the curriculum for them um, and have, you know, like basically school at home. Um, so I researched unschooling before I left. And because I was so discontent with the educational system in the States, I was already trying to move into something different. Um, but as far as your question is, would, I, I just, I never tried to leverage that as a, as a job or as a, you know, to be a resource for other people. Um, people would ask me, like people would drop into my inbox or whatever. And there were a lot of, um, I was a part of quite a few groups that, shared resources and things like that. So I would get those questions, but I never tried to turn it into say a, a money-making opportunity. It why is, is that? absolutely possible. Yeah. I just wasn't interested. I just wasn't interested. Are you still not interested? Um, I'm still not interested. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what keeps you from not um, turning that into a, I put this like a, you because know, a profitable business. For I, I spend a lot of my time with my comedy and with my event planning. I have a, a job mm-hmm. that I really, really enjoy. Um, it's growing a lot right now. Mm-hmm. And I just don't have the time and energy commitment for that. I don't want to create a program. I don't want to be answering. I mean, honestly, when people drop into my inbox asking me like a billion questions, I'm just like, no, I don't know you. <laughs> I don't like. I don't understand why you think it's okay for me to give you all of my time and energy. Like, um, I do. I did write a book, and I do have a book out. And what's the name of that book? Um, wanna, chasing you, happiness. Casing. It's called chasing. Oh, chasing, chasing happiness. happiness. Okay. Yep. It's on. It's available on Amazon and Create Space. Um, and it it's like halfway. Uh, I'm sorry if you didn't hear my cat. She will not be quiet. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's half of it is a sort of like self-help book about changing your mindset 
mm-hmm. um, and making your 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 mind and your attitude and your really your spirit get ready for to move in a in a way like that, like to move abroad. Right. Um, and then the other half of it is actually practical stuff about like you know how do you get a visa and and where you go get your passport and um, you know how to use Airbnb and and things like that. Mm. So it's it's half self help, um, self motivation, and then half practical knowledge. And this book, um, when did did you write this while you were in Vietnam or? I wrote it when I was in Thailand. Oh, in Thailand. So I wrote it okay. about the end of my first year abroad. Um, maybe not even. Yeah, about the end of my first year abroad. Mm-hmm. Um, I wrote it because I was getting a lot of requests and, um, that was one of the things on the, you know, full list of things you can do mm-hmm. abroad to make money. Um, writing a book was one of those. Yeah. I just didn't have the marketing knowledge behind it then. Mm-hmm. So I, I didn't promote it very well. Well, that, that that's where, you know, uh, here on, on this show, we, we tried to, um, speak to a lot of different people who have been trying to build their brand online mm-hmm. and give mm-hmm. them opportunities to understand that there is a system and the uh, the key to the system is like I'm by my freshman my I work with um, software development primarily web development and we spent a lot of time I contracting with different companies that pretty much was I guess what we would call um gutting out their a piece of their uh, their business models and then turning it into like a pipe for a uh, like a gig opportunity for different things. So meaning like journalists, will, everybody becomes a journalist. Everybody be, can become a um, like an actor, actress online. People can be teachers all over the world, and uh, you can also be able to uh, share your stories, you know, relatively quickly because everything is basically being. Um, administered on on the web and the uh, you know looking at it from the technical standpoint I feel like I'm more and more and this especially in 2020 I I feel like I have to kind of come up with a book myself I'm actually going to be putting together a book about how this technical um, knowledge can be utilized for a long-term I guess growth for for example like your knowledge on what you've actually have discovered so far can be documented and then you can start out with whatever you have and then each year right you try to build on top of that knowledge by you know talking to other people you know helping other people's um information by looking for their questions searching online using like uh google adsense adwords or answer the public the way you can actually you can search the keywords that people are looking for maybe like um, right. teaching your children or um, uh, alternative um, learning styles or custom curriculums and stuff like that and right uh, with that information you can start creating like blog posts or videos or whatever you wanted to maybe even make a book out of all of them to kind of talk to people in a structured sense and there are people yeah. who are going to be looking for that more and more so um I, so uh you know because i actually i my, my parents were were um, teachers, they retire teachers. I have like my uncle was a principal right, of a school, you know, uh-huh. in school. He retired, and um, and, and now his uh, his his daughter now works at the, at the school too. So here in New York City, you know, uh, 
the board education is pretty pretty popular you know work and yeah the fact that yeah. actually things are the, changing. the new york system for math is pretty good actually <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 especially they have regions. they have a ton of online resources that are free to use um the new york system for math is really really good <laughs> so you you so like when you're using these things like you, you you would be surprised when when it comes time to think about how to do something like what you're doing or what you've done how it can be very confusing we we tend to we we're, we're being programmed every day to understand that the um that we search online for information we seek out information from others and then based on how other people reflect that information their feedback you know um the views the likes the subscriptions we we, mm -hmm. we have more value to that information so right you know and it's not even about like you coming up with like original information you just being what they call the authority for it and uh, exactly and the uh, and one of the things i thought because i i i have some uh uh, friends that you know visited Thailand. I have, I have I have somebody I know who lived who lived in Vietnam, um, like years ago, and like they were talking about how you know it was, um, it was, it was actually an option for them. They were stay. They can you know live out there. But people was like, what if? Like, what if I lived here? How would you go about it? And how and like that information isn't it all in one place? Like I'm pretty sure right. you had to do a lot of digging and, and organizing and what the the actual game is today is that people can create this these pieces slowly you know every single you know week or two you add a little bit more to this and you work with people to get people to understand it the most so maybe you can you know like how you two spoke on one podcast and what you you said you know if you would have brought up the book or something it allowed people to kind of connect with you and you'd be surprised you know there could be somebody looking to start a you know a school or, or, or maybe they wanted to, you know, add your, your ideas to a book or something and they want to give you credit or whatever the case may be. I don't, I'm not yeah. just saying like, um, we have to really be more vocal online. And, um, and that's what I, I think that's where my ideas are going for right now. Cause I'm hoping, you know, within, you know, five, you know, five years, you know, time, 10 years time, you know, everybody's like, you're doing what you've you've done you know i i really right. like that idea of you know you can you can live in you can live out here in 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 um in new york city or in, in the states anywhere and you can probably be happy you know but being able to live and make a decent amount of money to not only take care of you not only just just to live there but to live comfortably you can all the information, all your videos, all of your experiences are very rare. It's like gold every day. Every time you go ahead and you step out your room or you go, you you buy something, that's rare. And like there are people right now going and saying like it's great because in five years time it's gonna get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and more right. people are gonna be leaving. And you would want, you don't want to want to have somebody coming out of there <laughs> two years after you've been there for ten, for for example, and then just becoming the authority about it. You get it. So, right, you know, right. I mean, this it is was when when I started out um, and I did have that idea that I would disseminate this information um, to, to people. The problem was I didn't have the the knowledge about AdWords and um, I didn't have the the fan base. I didn't know how to build up my social media enough that enough people were getting 
that information out there that mm-hmm. I was an authority on these things. Right. So there are steps that you have to take in order to make that a lucrative opportunity. Mm-hmm. And those are things that I'm just learning now. Okay. So um, it's not out of the realm of possibility for me. It's just something that I'm getting to just now. Okay. So I would say if, if it is something that, that you want to do that you foresee, you know, I'm going to take this opportunity. I'm going to do something different. And then I want to let other people know about it. Um, that's great. But you do, in order to be successful at it, in order to make, you know, some sort of living off of it, you do have to go through certain pathways in order to get there. You do have to have the fan base. You do have to, you know, it's great that you have this knowledge, but if no one knows that you have this knowledge, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not, it's not lucrative for you. Even if, you know, a hundred people know that you have this knowledge, it's not lucrative for you. You need, you know, thousands of people to to get that information out there. And it is, it is about talking to more people. It Mm -hmm. is about regularly putting out information. It is about um, putting it out with certain keywords that, that are searchable Mm -hmm. and getting up there on, on people's search histories and things like that. And it's definitely about branding yourself and having a, um, a name that is synonymous with whatever you're trying to put out there. You have to be very clear about the information that you're putting there and being consistent with that information. Oh, yeah. So those are things that I did not know when I started out, when I wrote the book. And mm-hmm. so it wasn't successful. And I, you know, I moved on to something else. Um, which is a but comedy. It's not, it's not out of, yes, which is in entertainment. Um, and it's something that I really love, but it's not uh, putting the information out there about unschooling or moving abroad or things like that. It's not out of the realm of possibility for me. It's just not something that I've been focusing on mm-hmm. lately. Um, but right now, um, <laughs> right now we're kind of in a, a sort of crisis moment in oh. um, in Vietnam with this coronavirus thing. Um the teachers have been out of school for almost two months now and they're yes. And they're saying that they're going to be out of school for another month, at least until the end of March. Um, so that definitely shifts the economy here. Um, and so it is requiring me to think because, because teacher dollars are something that I, I, you know, I rely a lot on. Um, and, with the the problem that's going on it's you know um hello most blatant oh. hello yeah when it just hello? it just broke okay. out Wait, just want to make sure i want to make sure we have the feed All right, so this is going to be the end of the first part. Thanks for listening. If you basically want to find out more about Angie the Diva and her her basically her podcast, uh, you can check out Angie the Diva, all one word, on Facebook, um, Twitter, and uh, I think she has a YouTube, but uh, I'm not too sure if she is going to be using that. So I'll just go ahead and make sure that she wants to use that as well. As well. And next week we will be putting in the um, the, the the second part of this, which where we kind of we went more into depth about you know how the coronavirus 
is pretty much affecting a lot of things that are going on in Asia right now. People are not working face-to-face, and a lot of people are working on the internet. Um, and it's kind of interesting. And um, she also goes over into you know her, her business and what she actually does for a living like on a day, day-to-day basis. So anyway, thanks a lot, and uh, hopefully she'll see from you guys uh, next week. One fine day you realize to your astonishment. There is no way at all of having your mind anywhere else but in the present moment. Because even when you think about the past or the future, you're doing it now, aren't you? And that results in a very curious transformation of consciousness. You feel that that the present moment is flowing along and carrying you with it all the time. Just like the flow of the Tao. The flow of the Tao is as if what we would call the flow of the present. See? And you're with it. There's nowhere of being anywhere else. The Jung Yong, the book called uh, The Unwobbling Pivot, says the Tao is that from which one cannot deviate. That from which one can deviate is not the Tao. Or to put it into the form of a Zen story, the Master Joshu said to Nansen, what is the Tao? Nansen replied, your everyday mind is the Tao. Joshu asked, how do you get into accord? Nansen replied, when you try to accord, you deviate.